Hello, my name is Hassan Sorrells. This is Tom Libby, and you are listening to the Growth Craft Podcast. The Growth Craft Podcast was designed with the startup founder in mind. This podcast is committed to growing your connections to our GrowthCraft advisors, increasing your engagement with the GrowthCraft community, and growing your knowledge about all the benefits that GrowthCraft can provide for your startup. We can't wait to bring you along on our journey today. Here on the podcast, we interview, as you know, startup founders, advisors, and others about their journey, their process, their passion, and where they're going. And today, we would like to welcome to the podcast, Alec Sushman. How are you doing, Alex? I'm great. Thank you. All righty. So hey, before, we, before we get started, I just wanted to say welcome back, Hassan, right? You, you were gone for a couple of these. so I, I was uh, gone, yes. <laughs> just I wanted totally. to say welcome back. I'm glad to have you back because uh, it was a lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah. A lot of weight to carry. <laughs> uh, but it's all right. We're, uh, we're back. We're sharing the weight. And I'm 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 refreshed and ready to go. So um, so Alex, uh, for our listeners, uh, tell us who you are and what is it that you do exactly. Yep. So I'm Alex Sukman. I am co-founder and CEO of a company called Barometer XP. And to put it very bluntly, we are trying to make work suck less for people, and specifically to make. Uh, workplaces feel like your colleagues are uh, allies and resources for you and not obstacles or adversaries. Uh, I think so often the the genesis of so much drama and stress and, and problem in the workplace are interpersonal relationships and differences in how people communicate or jumping to assumptions that may or may not be correct about people's motivations. Um, and a lot of that can be prevented if you really get to know people and you can understand what their skills are, what their strengths are, what their perspective is. Um, and then your your assumptions and, and your interactions are much more informed by by meaningful connections and, and shared purpose. And if, if I'm understanding this correctly, too, right, this is not some like some management tool, right? This is for everybody to kind of understand yep. and interact so that okay could you explain a little bit why it's not simply for management people to to push down or is it or is that a harder question to ask um no it's a great question so what we do is you know, there's a whole field of organizational development learning and development you know talent management uh it's you know there's courses and there's assessment tools and there's consultants who do you know change management all all of that um what you're, what all of that is really trying to do is to drive behavior change. But the way a lot of that content, a lot of those programs are delivered are very much knowledge. Here's a framework for communicating. Here's a process. But knowledge and behavior change are very different things. And so the way a lot of this learning and change is structured is to get the knowledge there, but it kind of stops. So what my company does is we actually use games as experiential learning to help bridge that gap between knowledge and behavior. So giving people a chance to 
practice communicating in different ways or practice using different problem solving styles, practice using new processes, but within the context of a game where you remove the high stakes of we have a client who is expecting this or we have a really tight deadline or you know there's our credibility is on the line. It almost gives a controlled experiment to just focus on the interpersonal dynamics. So you don't want to do this just with managers. Um, you want to do this with, with teams and whether it's functional teams, so everybody who works on a project together, whether it's uh, the directors across an organization to foster a more cohesive approach to leadership and culture across an organization and make sure that that's trickling down to the different teams. Uh, any group of people who, who has to work together regularly can really benefit from working on something outside of their normal tasks. And, and so that's what we do is bring uh, bring a game-based experiential learning alternative. Sounds amazing, you know, and this is not the first time you and I have spoken either. So I know a little bit more than 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 the average bear. So I won't go, but I, and I know Hassan's gonna have a couple of questions after this one, but I got one more. So how or, or why, like what what prompted this? Like what what in your life did you say, I've got to fix this because the work life in, of these people are so terrible that I need to figure out a way to fix this. What what was the catalyst to make you come up with this this type of company? Uh, a couple of things. One, I worked in a lot of very dysfunctional workplaces. Um, and no no disrespect, you know, I learned a lot. I worked with great people. I'm really proud of the work that we did. But there, I came from the public policy world, and especially in health and social policy. And there tends to be this idea that if you're doing work that's like quote unquote important, you know, mission impact driven, then you don't have time to focus on process. You don't have time to focus on infrastructure and operations. You just have to go at full speed all the time and, you know, karma is going to pay for it all in the end and, and you're going to be rewarded. Um, people burn out. Not only that, but what causes the burnout are really preventable and predictable problems. And what I started to notice was, huh, every month when we have to submit this progress report, it ends up being like this massive battle because there's not a process in place. And because there's no process in place, it turns into people finger pointing at each other. It's much easier to blame other people than to blame the process. So I got into operations and organizational development and process improvement, initially just trying to strengthen the foundations of the places that I was working. Um, and, and how I got into that was just what were not only the problems that I was seeing and experiencing, but what were people coming into my office and venting about for hours on end? And I was like, oh, wow, this person is blaming everybody else for this problem, but really they're a contributor to it. So I wonder how we can make them assume some responsibility for their role in it. So uh, six years ago, I went out on my own as a consultant to do that type of work um, and mainly to make sure that I was working with with leaders who were willing to make a change and not just perpetuating the chaos. Um, and I, I loved it. I did a lot of great process improvement and interoperation projects, but became so fascinated by this people problem. Like you, there's no way to work around it. If you can't figure out the people issue, even a really simple process improvement is not going to go very far. And through a bunch of serendipitous uh, interactions, I met my now one of my co-founders who's a game designer. 
And we just started experimenting with the idea of using games as a way to get to know people. And the idea just snowballed. So I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here because I have, <clears throat> as some of you on the podcast may know, I serve as GrowthCraft's um, startup leadership advisor, and I have a background in organizational development, leadership development, conflict management, mediation, negotiation, communication, all of the things that Alex has a background We've nerded in. out before. <laughs> we've done. nerded out before, exactly. And uh, we've shared horror stories and we've both seen the same things, um, kind of like Tommy Lee Jones in No Country for Old Men. We've seen the same thing she's seen and I've, I've come to some similar conclusions. But I never got to games. And so the perspective I'm going to, going to take on this next question is um, the perspective, I'm, I'm going to bring in the perspective from the movie Fight Club. How are you going to know something about somebody if you've never been in a fight with them, right? And this is why I do jujitsu and all these other kinds of things, right, in my personal life. Um, that way I can, you know, do that in a nice controlled setting and find out about find out about people. Well, the parallel to that is games, right? You're going to find out more about people when you play a game with them. So um, why is the game solution the best answer to this question? Why? Uh, why is that the thing? Because I could hear my very hardcore engineering types. Um, I can hear my very hardcore finance types scoffing right now <laughs> as they listen to this um, because games seem not that serious, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, uh, unless you're playing chess or something and you're Peter Thiel, it's really not that serious, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Strategio, we could just play, maybe we'll just play Strategio or maybe we'll play... Um, well, maybe we'll play uh, hopscotch, Any, right? Anything and we'll but learn Monopoly. Anything but Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> anything but Monopoly. And we'll learn something about our team by playing hopscotch together. And by the way, I've had those clients who come to me and like, well, we want to play a game and we want to do this and yeah. we want to, and and I know and you know it's it's more complicated than that. But explain to the listeners why the solution of the game, why gamification is this is the solution is the best answer to this to this to this organizational development problem. Yeah, and real quick, just a semantic. So gamification mm -hmm. refers to adding game elements to things that are not games. Mm -hmm. um, that's why all these apps have badges. They want to keep you on the app and, and turn mm -hmm. it into a game. We're like actually using game. I mean, like, I mean, we've never done hopscotch. I'm sure there's a really valuable thing we could do with hopscotch, <laughs> um, but, but we're using actual games. Um, there's a lot of answers to that question, um, but the biggest one is, Games, any game is essentially a problem-solving opportunity. If it's basketball, it's, you know, how do I tweak the position of my arm or my body positioning or, you know, looking what's on my peripheral vision. There's skills that you're trying to build. Uh, and most games you're playing with other people, whether you're on their team or your opponents. And so there's the psychological element. So what my my game partner, co-founder, um, has been really brilliant at is looking at what are the dynamics within a game that encourage certain interpersonal dynamics. So if there's a strategy component, well, then you need people to bring different perspectives to the table and consider different options and have this sort of negotiation of ideas and synthesize that information to reach a conclusion. Well, that probably happens every day in just about every workplace. So it's a way to, to harness those same skill sets, but in a much less threatening and lower stakes way. Um, and also, you know, role plays are often tools for skill building, but that's really hard because 
you're given a scenario, but there's no parameters. Games have parameters. It's a little universe. You know, these are the rules and this is the objective and this is what you can and can't do. And so it's a little bit more structured um, and people can buy into the premise of the game. Um, and it's pretty remarkable how much of the time people's behavior in the game kind of reflects their behavior outside of the game. You and even say. if somebody, <laughs> even if it doesn't, you know, it's sort of an outlier, but you can say, oh yeah, this person gets really competitive under X circumstances. So it's a way to bring situational awareness mm -hmm. to say, oh, well, I would never normally be an antagonist in real life, but because this game has this element, it's kind of fun to play around. So mm -hmm. it just gives you a chance to see, um, like what are the levers behind each person's brain that that makes us say and feel and think and act the way that we do? Um, what is it about certain situations? What is it about certain combinations of people, the chemistry between certain people? And once you have a better understanding of that, you're much better informed in how you interact with them going forward. And so it's really like, how do you shine a spotlight on the crazy world that's each of our brains? I want to ask you a question about game theory, but I don't want to go into the weeds. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a different kind of question. So um, I can hear people asking uh, who are listening, what is the way in which, like, how do you set this up, right? Like, how does this actually work? What's the secret sauce? Because it's not as if, yourself and your team of facilitators, and I presume you have a team of facilitators, um, it's not as if you and your team of facilitators are just coming in, setting up any old game, hopscotch I mentioned before, or or chess I mentioned before, or uh, you're not playing, uh, my personal favorite game is Risk, the game of world domination played by a bunch of people who can't even control their own lives, right? <laughs> as Seinfeld once in, in for this instead. Oh my gosh, it was great. <laughs> I have been that person, much like Kramer in that show back in the 90s, running through the street, carrying the board, <laughs> trying to preserve the game. I have been that crazy. Okay, yeah. Just a little bit of my internal psychology. Uh, how do you work with a client? How do they come to the game? How are you setting that up? What's the secret sauce here? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's also really pertinent right now because we're transitioning. We've been a facilitation company for the last few years, and now we're actually turning our approach into a product so that other people can use it and, and use this approach to bring games in. We're very aware that a lot of people, you mentioned some examples, will roll their eyes when they hear the idea of bringing a game into work. I get it. Uh, I've been there. I think that that's because a lot of the time games or activities are are done in isolation of, hey, we're going to do this thing and it's going to be fun. Well, why are we doing it? Why are you asking us to spend our time doing this? It's not connected to anything. It's not part of a broader learning initiative. It's not part of a change. It's not tied to anything. And are, and are you going to give us extra time on that deadline because you're telling us to do this now? Right. <laughs> right. right. I, I, oh. call, I call it mandatory fun. It's fundatory. It's mandatory right. fun. Mandatory force <laughs> fun. Yeah. Uh, I totally get why people recoil at that. That is not what we're doing. We're, we have, there's two different lenses that we use to, to 
match games to outcomes. One is our iceberg framework. If you think of an iceberg, you know, there's the surface and then what's below the surface. There's three different levels of depth that you can get from play. And you have to be very clear at the outset when you're planning to use a game, what level are you trying to get to? On the surface, it's an activity that people are doing that's not their normal work, not their normal task. It's a way for them to interact and make some memories together, get to know each other better. We call that team bonding, and that's great. That's purely fun and purely social, but you have to make sure that people know that that's the intention. They're not, they don't need to learn anything. They're not being evaluated or graded or judged on it at all. If you go a little bit deeper, like so just below the surface, we call that team building because that's pairing reflections to be like, wow, hey, son, you're really good at this game risk. You know, what is it about, the, you know, thinking strategically that, that you really enjoy or, you know, Tom, why, you know, why does being in this type of role um, really bring out these different strengths in you that don't come out in other circumstances? So by using the game as a tool to get to know different people's strengths and motivations and differences and, and practice uh, applying that information, it strengthens, strengthens the connections between individual people on the team and, and sort of builds a stronger team. The deepest level is what we call team development. And that's where you're getting at real culture or organizational change by looking at for this combination of people, what are the collective strengths? What are the collective blind spots? What type of processes would help them work together better? And how do you change that? So that's one level, the levels of depth. The other lens is how does this fit into the broader team culture? Culture is such a massive term that means a lot of different things. So we have what we call our pressure matrix, which are nine different types of, of pressures points on a team, nine different dimensions of team culture. And we have this very quick assessment where people rank statements that are very practical in the weeds. I feel like I can admit when I made a mistake or ask for help if I don't understand something. I feel like my work directly contributes to a bigger outcome. I don't feel like we're using the right tools. So it's very, very in the weeds, micro level uh, reflections of how people experience their culture. And we compile the assessments from everybody on a team and say, these are of those nine pressure points. These are the areas that are the strongest. These are the areas where people don't feel like it's as strong or there's not a lot of alignment. So when it comes to picking a game, you can connect it to that broader learning and development outcome. So it's not just we're playing a game. We're saying you, your data in this survey shows that you want to cultivate a stronger sense of identity and belonging in this team. That's the purpose of this game. And then you've given people a reason to care because you've connected it with something that they value. So that's how we set it up to say, it's not just frivolous, uh, what did you say? Um, funditory? Funditory. Funditory, Man it's not Mandatory funditory. fun, yeah. <laughs> not mandatory fun. It's part of a, a, serious, uh, a serious development initiative. And ideally it's not a standalone, whether it's, one or two activities as part of a longer day retreat or over the course of six months, a change management consulting consultant is coming in and, and doing a reorg and you play games at certain pieces at, at certain stages that to, uh, you know, to practice certain skills or to, you know, get used to certain changes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's part of something bigger and not just standalone. Interesting. Interesting. I like this. You know, this is 
This is good. I like this. Go ahead, Tom. I, I've got I'm so many questions. Was, yeah, I love this. I was gonna say, uh, I'm assuming you have a follow-up question to that. So before I go to my before I go to my next question, which is gonna which is gonna change our our focus a little bit. Do you have a follow-up question to that first, Taysan? I do. So <laughs> you mentioned a a tripwire word in there in your explanation of your of your pedagogy and your approach to 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 working with folks. Um, and I do admire the fact that you're switching from facilitation to product because product scales, good for you. Um, took me like 10 years to figure that out. So you're way further down the road than I, than I was. Um, but um, the question here is about culture. So if you ask any leader of a team, and I rant about this all the time on my other podcast, and I talk about it to whoever will listen, and I write books about it, uh, it's kind of like Marsha Brady back in that old, you know, that old uh, show, The Brady Bunch. Everyone wants to talk about culture, 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 but no one can define it. It's kind of like leadership. And so um, when the C-suite is asked about culture, they get frustrated and, and they make up a bunch of initiatives. They go and hire people like me and like you, and we come in and maybe we shift some things around, but the fundamental system doesn't move, right? Because the culture of the system is so deeply embedded and ingrained that to pull that out is going to take more than just one game, right? And so my question here is, how does, how does your process, how does that impact culture? And how do you define that for a client? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. That's where that was the impetus behind developing that assessment and, and the pressure matrix is to mm -hmm. operationalize culture mm -hmm. um, because it can mean a million different things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, often it's like, yeah, it says on our wall or it says on our website, we value X, Y, Z. Like, of course we have a culture. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Culture is when I show up at work every day, do I feel like my colleagues have my back? Do mm -hmm. I know that they're going to show up uh, when I need them to show up? Do I know that I'm going to be able to access the tools and information I need when I need it, or it's going to be a long slog? You know, have, have they thought through proactively what the employee experience at every level is going to be? And there's organizational culture, uh, you know, at the, the high level across a whole company, but then there's the sort of micro team culture. There's a million different Anytime you have a group of a couple people, more two or more people, there's a culture there. Mm -hmm. And so by breaking it down to these very relatable statements and getting people to have some shared language in how they talk about culture, you can then pinpoint, oh, great. Out of this team of 10 people, eight said they don't feel like they're using the right tools or using tools the right way. And so that's a pressure point. That's something that's really frustrating. That's causing a lot of conflict. Well, then that's maybe where we should start the conversation. If that's their biggest pain point, we don't need to talk about identity and belonging, or we don't need to talk about decision-making. We need to fix the tools. Mm -hmm. So it's how do, you, how do you make sure that you're addressing the right element of culture? Mm -hmm. And how do you get people to understand, come to have adopted a common framework about what culture is and what are, what are all of the different components of it. Yeah, it's funny too that you say that because I, I always, 
I always think like, you know, when I've run sales teams and, I've, you know, run certain things, my idea or kind of one of the things that you said to me prompted one of the things I used to talk about all the time, which is a shared feeling of expectation, right? Like, so everybody on my team, I don't care whether you are on, you know, have been with the team for five years, 10 years, one year, two weeks, everybody shows up to work with the same expectation. Everybody has a certain thing that they know, like, like you talked about having each other's back. It's a similar idea in sales. We don't really have each other's backs because we're kind of independent operators in that sense. But, but we all have a shared expectation. We all have shared protocols, everything. Like there's no surprises to anybody. And I think that's, if you can establish that pretty firmly, uh, then you can change it. Like to your point, Asan, like if you know firmly what all of those expectations are, what all of those protocols are, and everybody's on the same page, it's a lot easier to change something because it's easier to change one page yep. than 25 pages. That's yeah. right. So yeah. anyway. And uh, if I, if once I realize, oh my gosh, if I don't submit my numbers on time, it's going to make Tom's job harder. Well, I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want Tom and the rest of my team. So then if somebody's like, hey, what can we do to get you to submit your numbers in a, in a better way? I'm like, oh gosh, I don't, I don't, I want to be a team player. I want to be a, a you know, productive, positive member of this team. And now I'm incentivized to change is that level of accountability. And that's where with so much adoption of new technology and so many more companies being virtual or hybrid, um, I think that's where you need to be even more deliberate about building in that time for people to connect with each other mm -hmm. and to, you know, to get to know each other outside of just the roles that they're in. We get to know what what drives you, what skills do you have? You know, I might not know that, uh, you know, Tom is brilliant in solving X type of problem. But now that I know that, now that we've played a game together and I've gotten to see that example of brilliance. Well, now I'm really excited that Tom is on my team um, because he's a resource for me and that's just going to make me more successful. Um, I'm not feeling isolated or I'm not feeling like, I don't know why everybody thinks this Tom guy is so great when he's never shown me anything. You, you see what those different strengths are um, across the team and what the different perspectives are and how to leverage that. And you feel much more it's more motivating. It's more engaging. Uh, the higher level of accountability. I'm glad this is recorded because I'm going to take that clip because nobody's ever ever called me brilliant. So I'm just going <laughs> to take that and replay. Anyway, all right. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shift gears just a little bit. I have a question that's uh, not necessarily. Oh, but I mean, you could make it about your company if you wanted to, but um, it's more about Growthcraft. And you know, we're here on the Growthcraft podcast, and Growthcraft is a startup uh, community. So we want to ask a question really designed toward. Uh, getting what you get out of it or what prompted you to join it or what's your favorite thing about it. And I don't, I'm, I'm saying a bunch of different versions of this because quite honestly, I'm, I don't really care which one you answer, but I've really been intrigued by a lot of the answers we're getting from our guests on the podcast as to what, what they enjoy about Growthcraft and why they're involved with it in the first place and what keeps them there, right? So mm -hmm. you can talk about any one or all of those if you want, but I just, so give us a, your take on, on the, that question about Growthcraft. Yeah, I mean, the, the entrepreneurial journey is so wild because you have one or two things that you're really smart in and, and really innovative in, but all of a sudden you have to understand 700,000 other things that you have little to no expertise in. And, you know, the, the, the successful entrepreneurs and successful leaders are good at figuring things out themselves, but that's exhausting. And so having a community of people that 
you trust and and can recommend hey this you you need I mean with Growthcraft I've had questions about IP and it's like oh you have to talk to Gil he's the person to talk to about IP or oh you know we're trying to figure out what are some fundraising options oh you should talk to JP like if somebody I know and trust is recommending somebody else's expertise that saves me so much time um, and so much anxiety to be like, okay, I have to go to Google and like, you can't, what half of Yelp reviewers are crazy. You don't know what, you know, is it, was somebody reviewing this on a bad day or is, are they really reviewing their uncle and they're not telling you, you have a trusted recommendation for somebody and a, and a community of people who, um, who are not operating in isolation from each other. And, and that's really helpful to feel like, okay, when when I need it, there's a team of people who can share their expertise and, and help you think something through. And that's such a valuable resource. Well, we love hearing that. And uh, just to let you know, I did recently see that most five-star reviews apparently is, is a standard to just give a five-star review or they just move away. So apparently five stars doesn't mean anything. So, so much for that gamification of the system. Thank you, Yelp. All right. <laughs> you know, this is a side, but I've recently gone back to using a travel agent to plan big vacations because I found online reviews just useless. Yeah, you don't you don't know anything. You can't you can't determine anything. So I very very quick because I don't want to keep too much time on the podcast about this. But when I read reviews, I read two reviews. I will read three star or one star reviews and nothing else. Because three-star reviews have, have a tendency to be good and bad. They'll tell you mm -hmm. what's good and bad about it. Great. If I get both sides of the coin, then I make the decision for myself. And then I'll read the one stars because that's somebody just totally ripping the company apart. And if I <laughs> if I can figure out, if I can figure out by reading it that they were just, a, to your point, Alex, they're just having a bad day. Or they had that one bad experience, now they hate them. Like, Or they have a pet peeve and it's kind yes. of trivial. And <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. They trivialize something. So one star reviews and three star. I won't ever read a five star. I don't ever read nothing up. Three yep. star and one star because to your point, Asan, they're all kind of useless. You have to <laughs> sift through the noise to figure it out. Anyway, we're off track here. So Asan, <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead with the last with the last question. <laughs> well, Alex, I wanna I wanna thank you for uh, for coming on the Growthcraft podcast today. This was uh, this was a uh, uh, a welcome return for myself to the uh, to the mic and uh, to have this conversation with you particularly in an area that I'm passionate about and, uh, and have some experience in. Um, as usual, we always ask our guests, uh, what would you like to promote today, if anything? Or, you know, how do people check you out? Do you have a website? Um, are you speaking anywhere? Do you have a podcast that you want folks to take a listen at? Uh, so how can we find you? What are all the places that we can find you across the interwebs and give you three and one star reviews? <laughs> yes. Uh, so we have a website, it's um, barometerxp.com. Uh, definitely recommend people to check that out. There's a little, uh, on our nav bar, there's uh, events and we do monthly game sessions or it's just a, a demo of our framework and play a couple of games. That's really the best way to see what we're all about is to play the game uh, yourself and, and to see how it is maybe different from some of those forced fun experiences you may have had in the past. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head when the next one's coming up, but I think it's in the next, we do them in the middle of the month, every month. Um, so that's available. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and, and post pretty regularly. So Alexandra Sukman, uh, definitely follow me there. Um, 
yeah, I think those are the those are the big three. We don't have a podcast yet. I've thought about doing a podcast that's each ep- episode is us playing a different game and and getting into what can you learn about other people or what questions can you ask as you're playing the game. But right now, I don't need anything more on my to-do list. So, <laughs> well, we will have those links um, to Barometer XP and to um, the link to uh, to check out the uh, the monthly game workshops that uh, that Alex has and her team uh, below the player in the show notes where you are listening to this podcast. Once again, I want to thank Alex Sustwin for coming on the Growthcraft Podcast. And with that, we're out.